You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Seeking Excellence Podcast. This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, and I am running uh, part two today for Why Am I a Conservative? And so last time you probably uh, heard on episode one um, or part one of this series, uh, this two-part series, I guess, I don't know if you can call it a series, if it's just two, this pairing of episodes. Um, I mentioned Catholic Votes, The Loop, and so I want to encourage you again, if you haven't signed up for that today, to do so. But I also want to encourage you to sign up for the Seeking Excellence newsletter, because a lot of the resources and things I'm going to get into today are things we send out in our weekly newsletter, different videos and things that expose you to uh, different um, you know, logic behind different stances, political views, religious views, um, and then also uh, books. We do a book recommendation, highlight a book of the week. And so you might see things on there that you'd be really interested in reading um, and a little reflection of like what that book meant to us. Um, whoever's kind of the book person of the week, you know, the rec- recommender, if you will. Um, so you can sign up for that at thosewhoseek.org, which is where you can find a lot of different blogs and stuff that I've written in the past about these topics as well. And so if you're wanting to read my, my letters on racism, which were definitely our most viewed thing last year uh, in 2020. So I guess two years ago now, by the time this comes out, but um, yeah, I want to encourage you to check that out. Sign up for our newsletter. Again, as I say very often, if you haven't left us a review, it would mean a lot. This is definitely one of the episodes where I share some hot takes that are going to piss people off. So we'll probably get more one-star reviews. So if you wouldn't mind just taking a millisecond of your time to go over, search Seeking Excellence podcast, leave us a review. Um, even if you think it's one star, I appreciate more reviews. Try and get my reviews numbers up. Drop that one star in there. Uh, if that's if that's what you feel like the Lord is pushing you to do today, um, I support your decision. You have the freedom to to review whatever you want, to leave whatever review you want. I just ask that you do one. Uh, that might backfire, but what the hell? So I'm going to jump back into where I am. So if you remember last episode, what I talked about was seeing real poverty, oppression, and hopelessness in Afghanistan, um, how this really impacted my view on race in America, especially a lot of the radical left's take on race in America. And this all builds up until spring of 2019. Dude, so what happened in spring of 2019? I'm glad you asked because I'm about to tell you. Dude, so spring of 2019, the uh, movie based on the life of Abby Johnson called Unplanned came out. 
and it hit theaters, <clears throat> excuse me. And I went and saw it in theaters. I think I saw it with my homeboy Rocky, which is pretty funny because we're two like pretty tatted, like bigger black dude, or he's Hispanic, um, but brown, tatted brown dudes. And we we're in there watching them playing together. I'm pretty sure it was Rocky. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure. And I just remember I left that movie. So if you know before, before I get into how I left it, what the movie's about. So Abby Johnson, her story's out there. So this isn't like a huge spoiler, but if you haven't seen the movie, I highly recommend it. I'm going to talk about some other movies, documentaries I've watched over time that I've often challenged people to watch these. And I feel like nobody ever does, especially people who disagree with me. Uh, so they kind of become an echo chamber, but for this one, I hope that unplanned had this impact on many people's lives and not just mine, but I was one life that it did change. And as I said before, I was always pro-life because I was always Catholic. And I knew that was something that was crucial and and critical to being Catholic. Uh, And I was never arrogant enough to think that like I could change church teaching um, either in my heart or by personal stances, at least um, in certain things politically. I just kind of had a a blurred vision of how the political, the personal and the religious kind of where the intersected, where they intersected, especially in regards to gay marriage, as I mentioned in part one, but never really had that same kind of concern or, or, you know, disillusion in the pro-life movement. Um, But I wasn't really like outspokenly pro-life. I wasn't really like super strong about it. I didn't see it as like a make or break issue when it came to voting. And I was getting out of the army this year in 2019. So I'd already had my packet in to get out and everything. My date was set for the end of August. uh, My leave starting in July. I saw this movie probably like, in early April or something like that, or mid-April, maybe I saw it as soon as it came out. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't even know what like motivated me to go see it. So this is part of the journey that like I'm kind of unclear on. If it was just like the churches were promoting it a lot, Catholic churches, and so that's what I was like, I gotta go see this movie. But Abby Johnson worked at Planned Parenthood, right? And so she worked at Planned Parenthood, and I want to say she was, I don't know if she was a nurse or some type of like medical personnel. But if she was, she just kind of, I think she was a counselor. I think she started doing like the counseling first, but then there was one day where her life changed and the movie documents this, right? Um, Well, first, before her life changed, she had had two abortions. One was like an actual like full-blown abortion. One was the abortion pill. Both are abortions. I don't know why I said full-blown, but one was like the more medical procedure that you imagine, you know, like putting your legs in the stirrups and, um, you know, like the doctor going in and doing it. And one was like an at-home abortion pill abortion that she had had. Um, and she worked at Planned Parenthood and her husband was like, I want to say pro-life, like a Christian and still married her. And they had, I think, a kid or two together at this, the time where the movie really kind of hones in on her story, which is pretty wild. That was that was one of like, the biggest like moral dilemmas I think that came out of the movie was marrying somebody as a pro-life person who works at Planned Parenthood. But she did a lot of counseling for women and things like that. So she never really was like super deep in it and like really didn't like fully understand abortion, but was very pro-choice, obviously. And very pro Planned Parenthood. And as she rose in the ranks, she started to see different things and learn different things about how Planned Parenthood actually operated, which are somewhat exposed in the movie. But the life-changing moment that she had was one day they needed, they were performing an abortion. Uh, The doctors were, and they needed, they were like short a nurse. And so they pulled her into the operating room and said, I just need you to hold the like the ultrasound camera over her belly so I can like do this. And she 
was like, I'm not a nurse. I shouldn't be doing this. And they're like, dude, you just need to hold it over. It's just like holding a camera, right? Like you can do this. And she held that thing. I think the woman, the mother was asleep, like put, you know, under anesthesia or something like that. Uh, so she wasn't awake to see it. I don't, I think that's what happened. I haven't seen the movie. I've only seen it once. So I haven't seen it in two and a half years, but they're holding it over. And like, you can see on the screen, on the ultrasound screen, like the baby, like squirming and trying to get away. And the doctor, like either vacuuming or like dissecting it basically in its mother's womb and taking the baby out and throwing it in the trash. And the movie, she like runs out of the room. She vomits. She's like, holy F, like, what did I just watch? And she realizes like, that's what I've been defending. That's what I've been like supporting and championing and encouraging women to do and saying it was their right and saying they had to, you know, yeah. Uh, saying that that would be beneficial for them to do that to a, a baby. And obviously like through the movie, you learn like a lot of abortion stats, like the tens of millions of Americans have been aborted. And you're just kind of like, it was like in that moment, I kind of in the theater had the same experience as Abby did or as her character did in the movie. And as she did years before that in real life, where I was like, I didn't realize how big of a deal this was. You know, like I was like abortion, like, yeah, like we're pro-life, like, it, you know, there's there's a death that happens or whatever. But when you see. When you see it happen. This is why you see a lot of like live action videos and different like, uh, you know, videos for the pro-life movement where they'll, they'll stop people on the streets and ask them about their abortion stance. So then they show they're like, do you know what happens in an abortion? At a three-month abortion or, God, you know, the horrific atrocity that is like an eighth-month or a full-term abortion. And they ask them about it. And then they show them, like, animated videos of what happens. Um, people change their minds in the moment. It's very life-changing. And so, again, leftism thrives on ignorance. And so keeping people in the dark, just telling people abortion is health care, making it pro-choice, not pro-abortion, Um you know, uh, like all these different things, right? Like it's, it's men wanting to control women's bodies and it's oppressive, right? And um, abortion is, is healthcare. Like all these kind of like uh, what seem like minor changes or shifts or what they really are is cover-ups of the, the abortion movement. Um, they really help to hide and cover what's actually happening in an abortion, right? There's a reason why the satanic temple is such an avid uh, defender of abortion, right? Because it is really a satanic ritual where uh, a human life is sacrificed, right? Like child sacrifice, which is a satanic ritual going way back. Um, an evil ritual goes way back. Like child sacrifice happens on massive scales uh, in abortion clinics and especially in Planned Parenthoods around the country. And so I, I left that movie and I was moved, man. I, I literally left the movie theater like 9.30 at night and drove straight to Planned Parenthood um, and prayed the rosary outside of it was the first time I'd ever done that. Um, and I haven't done it as much as I wish I had since then, but it kicked off a journey of seeking more information because what I wanted after I watched that movie and was, was convinced and shown the truth of abortion and the wide ranging and like immense impacts that it has on society, on the mothers, on, uh, human life the degradation of human life 
um, I wanted to know everything about it. And so I started YouTubing and reading and all these different things, right? Read Trent Horn's uh, Persuasive Pro-Life, which is a great book. Um, and really just went deep into a lot of this stuff. And you know how YouTube is. And if you've ever seen The Social Dilemma, you know this. Once you start looking at some stuff, they want to show you other stuff that's similar to that stuff. Because they want you to keep watching. So you can blame YouTube on why I'm so damn conservative now. Because that's exactly what happened. I started watching these videos and I came across these YAF videos. Young America's Foundation with distinguished gentlemen like Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh, um, retired Lieutenant Colonel uh, and Black American Alan West, Michael Knowles, right? Now I'm watching these speeches. Uh, I remember Matt Walsh's, uh, he had this book called The Unholy Trinity and he gave a talk on it once. And if I'm not mistaken, The Unholy Trinity was abortion, um, I think gay marriage and like gender trans stuff gender ideology if i'm not mistaken but he wrote the book years ago which is pretty wild but i remember watching that one of him talking about the pro-life movement and i was just like soaking it up right i'm like soaking up all these like uh almost like apologetics right for for pro-life for the pro-life movement um lila rose talks and all these different things but the the yaf ones were big because they exposed me to other ideas so for example The, the the talk I told you, I think it was at Baylor. Matt Walsh went to Baylor, I want to say it was. Man, I watched this one like three times. And there's that Unholy Trinity one where he's talking about all these different things. He actually talks about gay marriage, but from a secular perspective. And it was the first time I'd ever heard anything like that, right? So I, I then become like a more traditional marriage kind of guy. Alan West starts talking about racism a lot and gun violence. and starts breaking down all these stats and police stats on gun violence and uh, and racism. And a lot of other issues, right? And he, he takes it from a military perspective, which is pretty cool. The other big one that, that really was impactful at this time was uh, Stephen Crowder changed my mind. So if you remember, uh, Stephen Crowder used to sit, this is back like pre-COVID, he did a lot of these. He's still done some over the last like year and a half, but he really got famous doing these. Uh, and it was at the time, it just happened to be like at the time where it was like really coming alive and going viral where he would go to, especially the college campuses, oftentimes like just in cities and put up a table and say, man, I should look up some of the examples, you know, like abortion is murder, changed my mind or um, elite, like legal immigration is good. Or like illegal, like the, we should build the wall, change my mind, like random things like that. Right. Um, there, there should be no minimum wage, change my mind, or, or like random topics. I don't, I don't know. I'm just making shit up. I don't even know if these are any of the episodes he did. But I started watching Stephen Crowder's Change My Mind. Now, then I started watching some of his own show. And I've never really been a huge Stephen Crowder fan because I've always felt like he was a little bit more crass and like um, aggressive and rude than you needed to be. Uh, and I have my issues with a lot of different like speakers and, and podcasters and things like that for sure. But I really liked the approach that like Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, and Alan West, uh, those kind of guys took when they kind of approached it. And like Ben Shapiro and Matt Walsh, I think are funny. They make fun of them for sure. And they're, I think they're hilarious a lot of the times. But uh, Stephen Crowder, he's he's a comedian by trade. And I always felt like he was just a little bit more um, rude and and mean at times than, than I wanted to kind of expose myself to as a Christian man. Um, but to change my mind, he was always very... Uh, careful in his word choice. He was very polite. 
um, most, at least most of the time. Uh, and I really appreciated that. So I watched a lot of those. And then I kind of had the experience too of, of many black Americans uh, who became conservative during the Trump administration. Kind of the next thing that I kind of witnessed was like these lies against Donald Trump. And as you start listening to conservative commentators, so I became a Daily Wire subscriber in uh, the fall of 2019, right? Because I'd watched a lot of Ben at this point. I would, dude, I would like, I would binge watch so many yeah videos. It was crazy. Like I, I like couldn't stop at nighttime. I would just, I was loving it, especially like uh, the Q and A's. So I used to watch, you know, yeah, always has like funny headlines or titles of their videos where it's like Ben Shapiro destroys leftists on uh, LGBT issue or annihilates leftist on a transgender issue or um, abolish, uh, you know, just demolishes a young professor on uh, the, the history of slavery, like all these different things. And I just be like, man, they're like three or three to five minute videos. So you're always like, man, just one more, you know, it's like potato chips. You can't just have one. So I'm smashing these things and become a Daily Wire subscriber. And as I'm listening to them more and more, I'm, I'm watching these lies against Donald Trump that I had never realized before because I was a CNN watcher. Oh, can you believe that? Can you believe I used to watch the hot trash that is CNN, the most trusted name in news? They're, they're horrific. Like I am like so convinced. I mean, the same things that you see about Obama, as I mentioned in part one of his switching on race, like you see Don Lemon do the same thing. There's a video that circles around like once a year. Uh, you should look it up if you have never seen it of Don Lemon and uh, Morgan Freeman discussing racism. And Don Lemon pretty much agrees with Morgan Freeman that racism isn't that bad in America. And then he just completely switches his tune and goes full lefty in like the next several years and just propagates all this propaganda and just pushes it on the American people. And it's really sad. But I watch these lies against Trump, who, if you listen to part one, I thought was a, a straight asshat when he came and ran for president the first time. I was like, man, this is we are in like I, I despised Hillary, but I was like, we are not looking good if these are the best two people, as most Americans, I think, thought, like, are these really the best two we have? I mean, that's kind of how it felt this last election, frankly. But um, that one especially, man, was like, are we being serious right now? Come on, man. Come on. We got we to gotta be better than this. This is the United States of America. It's the greatest country in the world. These are the best two people we have. But one of the times where I, I think the, the one that gets me, I have a whole book uh, called Slanted that talks about all the, the many times, hundreds of times, the, the uh, media lied on Trump pretty hard. But one of my favorites, man, is Charlottesville. And so I'm not going to, this isn't a, an episode about Charlottesville. So I'm not going to go back and like read everything, but I would encourage you to read Trump's words from Charlottesville. And Charlottesville was a, an interesting one, because if you remember what happened was, so you had people there in Charlottesville protesting the taking down of, um, you have uh, the taking down of a statue of Robert E. Lee. So I just got, caught up i was reading the la times um kind of like transcript of all of it and so i encourage you to go and check it out and read the whole thing it's kind of a pain in the ass reading through it it's kind of annoying but you see like in the speech or in the question and answer that he kind of gives he kind of goes back and forth um and and uh 
he, he talks about how there was negative people, there was bad people, there was violent people, that the alt-right, he's condemned white supremacy multiple, multiple times. Something that was said over and over again, even in the 2020 election, man, of uh, people saying that Trump's never condemned white supremacy. And then you see like these viral videos of that people made of him doing it for like 90 seconds straight, just go into like 20 different clips of him condemning David Duke and white supremacy and the KKK, um, disavowing them. He did it over and over and over again. Uh, like, like so many times, it's pretty wild. And this, remember, like when I'm watching this stuff, like I am by no means a Trump supporter. Like this is before I was even like thinking about voting for him in 2020. <clears throat> and uh, I just remember watching, like, I, I, I remember I, I watched uh, somebody else, this, this other black dude kind of talking about his story of, I don't know if it was a Blexit video or what, but from Candace Owens, but uh, he was talking about his journey and he, he talked about having the same experience. Um, I don't know if it was Charlottesville or another thing, but he said he watched Trump give a speech, right? Like the live Q and a or, or Trump give a speech. And then he turned on CNN or some other or MSNBC. And he's like, I watched them lie about what I had just heard. And this is kind of like the gaslighting and propaganda that happens in, in the media today. And I think Charlottesville was such a good example of that because he, like, if you go back and read his words, it's very clear that what he's saying is there's good people that want, there's some good people who want Robert E. Lee's statues to, to remain. And there's some good people who want it to be taken down. There's bad people on both sides who want to be violent against people who disagree with them. And that's bad. And he said that what happened was horrible. The violence was horrible. It was terrible that people were fighting over it and the way that it went down. He said it's terrible that white supremacy exists. But he's like, there's some good people who just want to maintain history. And they do have the concern, as he expressed in, the, in those comments, in the, in, the, in the question period that he was taking questions, he talks about the concern of like, who's next after this? And it's really ironic that he points out this fear of like, well, my only fear with it is like, if Robert E. Lee today, is it George Washington next week? Is it Lincoln after that? You know, is it Thomas Jefferson? And what have we seen in the last few years? People have attacked those people. I mean, we've had so many attacks on Catholic saints and Catholic churches and um, that have stemmed from some of this stuff, right? Like Juniper Sarah. Um, but also Thomas Jefferson, statues and names and schools, you know, being removed of some of the founding fathers, man. Like it's, it's happening. Abraham Lincoln gets criticized for not being progressive enough. A man started a civil war and lost his life to free the slaves. And he wasn't progressive enough for some people want to take his statues down. And so he kind of predicted this and that's what he was saying. He's like, there's good people who just want to preserve history um, that are trying to support the, the remaining, like keeping the, the Robert E. Lee statue now, personally, to me, Confederate history is not American history. And I think that's where you draw the line. You have to draw it somewhere. Or else none of us are going to make it. And all of our history is going to be erased. Because if they go back to my Facebook or your Facebook or your Twitter from when you were a teenager, your text messages from when you were 14, 15 years old, you were probably laughing at black jokes or, you know, I mean, some, some of you weren't. Some of you have been good the whole time. But a lot of us were doing some ratchet stuff back then. Uh, some stuff that definitely is politically correct in 2021 that was fine to say in 2005. Um, but you have to think about that, right? And so it's like, 
where do you draw the line? To me, you draw the line of Confederate history. You can take all that shit down as far as I'm concerned. Confederate flags and, and Robert E. Lee. I don't know what was heroic about them. They fought to maintain slavery under the guise of states' rights. Um, they were racist. And uh, they literally were willing to die to maintain slavery of African African slaves, which I'm not really a huge fan of. Now, and then what did they contribute? Like, at least what you can look like the argument to me, like Thomas Jefferson and George Washington is like, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't have America if it wasn't for them. You know? And you can look at their takes and things that they even said about freeing slaves, but they knew that America wasn't ready for it at the time. But what did Robert E. Lee, I mean, maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe I don't know enough about the guy, but like, what did he contribute? Stonewall Jackson, like, what did these guys do for America? Other than divide it and cause the death of half a million Americans in the Civil War. Like, Nah, dog. I don't. That's where I draw the line. Confederate flags, like they shouldn't be on states' buildings. I don't think they should be illegal. I don't think having like a book about Robert E. I'm not saying you should make it illegal, but I don't know why we need to have public schools named after him that black kids go to, and uh, yeah, and have a statue on state capitol building. That that to me is too much. I think it's stupid. But that's just my personal opinion on that. So that's kind of where I was at. Witnessing the last against Donald Trump really started to open me up to, to wanting to listen more to what he exactly said because I realized how much they lied against him. And I still think he's also very hateable. I think he's not a very likable person um, or president, but I did end up voting for him, as I said before, uh, in 2020 for a number of reasons. But I'm, I'm getting deep into the Daily Wire. And then there was this other figure who came into my life like a mother-loving wrecking ball, and his name is Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson was a lot like I mentioned in the last episode, like Les Brown and Eric Thomas, where he didn't say things that were uh, that were left. And I don't know, I don't know what he like self-identifies as, you know, politically, but I know he speaks hardly, like hard against communism, against socialism. And he really was one of the first people that kind of like opened my eyes to like the rise of socialism in the West. And I was like, holy crap, this is happening. That combining with my listening to like the Daily Wire, but Jordan Peterson really had an interesting story. So if you don't know Jordan Peterson's like rise to fame, um, which you can watch a documentary if it's still on Amazon Prime, The Rise of Jordan Peterson, which I loved, is uh, it was when Canada started to force people legally to use proper pronouns to not misgender people was going to like to misgender people was like going to become a crime. Essentially. I forget what the law was called, but it was like a huge deal. Right. It's like a pretty big deal to say like words and like thought crimes and shit like that. Like word, like this taken to like words of violence to the next level. And like you, you could like really get in trouble for it, find or lose your job or whatever. He's a tenured professor. I think at the university of Toronto has been for a long time. Lots of experience in clinical psychology and things like that as well. And JP was like, if somebody in my class comes up to me and they ask me to call them by a different name or different pronouns, I'm willing to do that. But I do not believe that the government should be able to intervene and force somebody to do that. Because again, you you learn about these things and you hear the right talks about slippery slopes all the time. And I don't know, everybody awakens at some point on the slippery slope. Some people are just really hard-headed and it takes them a long time to wake up to it. 
But JP kind of realized I, there's one thing from that, that documentary on Amazon that has always stuck with me. And it's when somebody's asking him and they're like, so you would use somebody's pronouns? And he's like, yes, I would if they asked me to personally. And they're like, so you're not against, like, you don't hate trans people. And he's like, no, absolutely not. And they're like, so isn't it kind of arbitrary? Like, why was this where you decided to like draw the line and draw the line in the sand and like really put up a fight? And he said, you know, the reality is that when you're fighting against uh, tyranny, totalitarianism, authoritarianism, you have to draw the line somewhere. And the line is always somewhat arbitrary. Right. Like at some point, as they start to take more and more of your rights away and start to limit what you can do, what you can think, what you can say. uh, The line always seems somewhat arbitrary wherever you draw it, but you have to draw it somewhere. And I started to really think about that. Now, like it really started to impact me. I was like, man, that's really powerful. You do have to draw the line somewhere. And I was like, where do you like, where, where are we going to draw the line as a society? And that was really interesting even further down the line. I would say I'm going to talk about COVID a little bit later, but COVID was a great example of that, of us joining, jumping on these slippery slopes, like head first, even a lot of conservatives, like with no concern and just going deep into it. So then I kind of revisited after, you know, listened to a lot of Jordan Peterson. As I said, he doesn't share a lot of like left ideas, like making your own bed, uh, get your own life in order before you criticize the world, like speaking against like, uh, this kind of youthful devotion to progressivism and things like that. Um, it was really interesting. And I, I've been really intrigued by his journey over the years, especially like towards Christianity and Catholicism. But he got me thinking about a lot of different things. He really changed my mind. Dude, oh my gosh, Kathy Newman and Jordan Peterson, that interview where they talk about uh, inequality and especially like inequality between men and women. Oh my gosh. That's one of my favorite videos too. So I have these like go-tos, right. That I've watched like five times. I might watch some of that today while you, while I eat later, man, I love that video. Uh, Kathy Newman and Jordan Peterson. There's some great, even just like commentary videos that like break down how well he was like composed during that and how she like philosophically uh, tries to manipulate him and just lies. Oh, she sucks. Uh, she's some British reporter. Um, and she just like, I mean, it's it's literally the definition of like a conservative talking with a leftist and like trying to share ideas and like her just manipulating and twisting his words and saying, so you're saying this. And it's like, that's that's not what I'm saying at all. It's like, are you listening to me? You know, like she won't like be open to the fact she she just like shares emotional opinions um, and doesn't like base anything off truth or reality, um, but just uses a lot of like leftist talking points. And he just debunks all of them and just destroys her. But she gets so upset and so aggressive from the moment they sit down together it's really wild but all of that made me like revisit a lot of this you know racism and blm stuff as things started to get more and more extreme and i'm watching other videos another one of my favorite interviews of all time i actually just watched like two weeks ago is uh the rubin report with larry elder so this was in like 2015 or something i think 2015 16 and like this is when dave rubin who's married to a man uh, identif- like he, he claims to be like a classical liberal. Uh, he's got a good book. Don't burn this book. Classical liberal, more of like a classical, like a old school Democrat. Um, but he's a gay dude married to a, married to a man. Uh, I think his husband's name's David. Um, 
and uh, he sits down with Larry Elder <laughs> and asks Larry about racism. And they're talking about systemic racism. And Larry's like, can you give me an example of systemic racism? And Larry just tears that ass up. It is so funny uh, to watch. And even uh, Dave Rubin like points back to that being like a pivotal moment in his life where he really had to question everything after that because he realized how much of his like political stances were, how many of his political stances were just based on assumptions and like seeing and talking points. And he was like, oh my gosh, am I a conservative? <laughs> it was pretty funny. And I think, I think he's Republican now maybe independent, but he talks, he, he sounds and defends a lot of like Republican things because he's one of the people that the left left him. And we talk about that a lot, right? Like the left leaves people because it just, the, the Democrats, they just become so extreme. Like think about, I talked about this last time where Obama uh, in, in, in 2008 or 2007 was interviewed and admitted that he did not think that race would play a big part in the upcoming election in his first presidential election. I mentioned that there was a video, a viral video that just came around again of Joe Biden. I'll send it to you if you message me on Instagram. I have it saved as long as it didn't get taken down. Of Joe Biden in 2006 acting like legalizing gay marriage was absolutely absurd. Obama ran on uh, traditional marriage in 2008. That was one of his, 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 his campaign points. And then like everything just changes right now. It's like trans kids. Like if you don't think the kids should be able to pick their own gender, like you're a bigot and you have like extremists like Kamala and Joe Biden and all these people who used to not believe in any of this stuff, Hillary going full force into all of it. And so it's wild, man, how people just change, but the left just keeps getting more and more extreme left, more and more socialist. And it leaves a lot of people. And so we're seeing that now with uh, Joe Biden's approval ratings are in like the thirties. I think Kamala's are like in the high twenties um, as of this recording. And so, man, it's crazy stuff, but you start to see some of this stuff and you're like, wow, that's some pretty crazy stuff. So Dave Rubin was one of those people where the left left him. I think I left the left. I don't think the left left me. I realized even like, you know, some of the stuff that Dave Rubin believes in like that I don't agree with. And so I'm like, wait, no, I'm a conservative as, as a lot of black and brown people are. They just don't know it because they're so socially conservative. Um, most of the time, but, um, yeah, so Larry Elder was big, man. So I, I came across like that video, um, and interviews of Larry Elder and started just tearing up Larry Elder and then Larry Elder led me, uh, well, and Candace Owens. So Candace Owens, this is started like the time of her rise. I read blackout, um, and just like was moved a lot by some of that stuff, uh, and watch Trump card by Dinesh D'Souza, which is a great movie. Watch uncle Tom. Um, which Larry Elder put together, which exposed me to guys like Brandon Tatum. Um, but most importantly, Larry Elder's mentor and go-to guy that really impacted me on a lot of economic stuff was Thomas Sowell. Dude, if you ain't heard some Thomas Sowell, get some Thomas Sowell in your life. Thomas Sowell's the one, baby. Thomas Sowell was a straight-up Marxist in his like late teens, early 20s, and became a conservative. Larry's like the only one of all these like black and brown people I know, maybe Alan West, I don't know. But Larry was like conservative from his childhood. His dad was a Republican. Mom was a Democrat. But Thomas Sowell was straight up Marxist, baby. He was a straight up socialist. And then he was like, oh, this is stupid. <laughs> He's an economist. He like eventually he was like, wait, this is really dumb. 
And that kind of goes back to the quote that I shared in part one. If you're young and conservative, you don't have a heart. If you're old and liberal, you don't have a brain. And there's another video uh, on GQ, on British GQ, uh, uh, with Jordan Peterson, this, this woman. And she talks about how like all the old people are conservative and old people tend to be conservative. And that's been true for a long time. I'm like, why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? It's because once you live a little bit, once you learn more history about socialism and, and communism, pretty hard to be a socialist. Once you start making money, you start making decisions and realizing your life is, is very much up to personal choice in the West. You're like, damn, I'm a conservative. That's how it rolls, baby. That's how it works a lot of times, not always. So, yeah, dude, I would highly recommend checking out. I think Uncle Tom and Trump Carter are both on Amazon Prime. Um, Netflix obviously never carries stuff like this. I'm surprised Amazon does, frankly. But I love those. Very, very good documentaries. Very interesting stuff. Uh, I was trying to think of other ones that I'd seen, but I've watched just a lot of YouTube videos. Man, a lot of Thomas Sowell on YouTube. Larry Elder on YouTube. So check those guys out for sure. Uncle Tom's the one I try to recommend to a lot of uh, black friends and family who are still very liberal. And again, it's kind of like unplanned, man. Like nobody takes you up on the offer, right? So they become echo chambers, or at least they're very equipping for people who are conservative. And so I hope that there are a lot of people who were very liberal that watched it. Um, but we're seeing this, this increase, you know, uh, Candace Owens started Blexit, which is like Brexit, but for black people leaving what we call the Democrat plantation. When you learn more about racists, staunch racists like Lyndon B. Johnson, who uh, passed laws and, and, and put programs in place to get to convince black women to marry the government instead of staying with traditional families and tore black families apart. We learn about staunch racists like Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, who wanted to help limit or destroy the, the population of black and brown people by placing Planned Parenthoods in inner city communities and making abortion on demand and free. When you learn about this stuff, man, it's hard to not wake up and be like, holy cow, I think I've been lied to once or twice, right? When you learn about some of the experimentations of, of the healthcare system in America on black people, it's hard to not wake up. You learn about some of the stuff Fauci and Bill Gates have done in Africa. It's hard to not be like, wait, maybe I shouldn't be worshiping these fools. Now, here comes another interesting part of my journey. This is a fun part, I think. As in 2019, the same year that, uh, the same year that um, Unplanned came out, right? I had another, it kind of pushed me into another direction as well in my life. As I started to see the importance of the pro-life movement and a lot of these other issues, I was like, I, this is, if you listen to my Why Am I Catholic uh, podcast, I stopped listening to like Elevation Church and a lot of these like mega, pre, mega preachers, mega church pastors, because they didn't stand for anything. They never talked about any of this stuff. I'm like, how do you know about the atrocities that are happening in this world right now? The greatest human, human rights violations of our time, one of the greatest human rights violations of all time, if not the greatest human rights violations of all time, honestly. Um hundreds of millions of, of babies aborted, ripped apart in their mother's wounds, injected with poison, skulls crushed and thrown in the trash. That's, just, that's some dark shit, man. That's, that's got to be up there. If not the greatest human rights violation of our time, it's up there or uh, of all time. It's definitely the, the greatest of our time, uh, maybe competing with human sex trafficking, which gets little to no attention as well, especially from the left for some reason. 
But uh, as I started, so I stopped listening to a lot of them. I started diving deeper into my faith and uh, again, and um, just started to realize like, wow, I started to see this kind of parallel between orthodoxy and conservatism. I'm like, isn't it interesting that, you know, you have like your new ways ministries, your father, father, James Martins, these people who are straight heretics that, um, that lie to the masses and lead people away from God away from church teaching. Uh, and then you have like your trads, right? So I started listening to some trad stuff, read Infiltration by Dr. Taylor Marshall, listen to his podcast a little bit. And then I started going to like Latin mass a little bit here and there. And I'm still not a trad. I tell people that all the time. Like I'm, I'm not full-blown trad. I'm, I'm half trad, right? So I dabble. I dabble in some Latin mass and things like that. I've never been fully convinced that the Latin mass is like purely superior. Um, I don't believe like the Vatican II was fake. Um, I have my doubts and questions and concerns about some of this stuff. And I think that it's pretty hard to argue that things have been better since Vatican II. Um, but I still think it was a legit council. And I, I, I do enjoy me a good Orthodox Novus Ordo, a Novus Ordo by the book. I like me some uh, um, ad orientum, right? So I, I get in, I get down with some of that stuff. But what I realized is I was like, at why is it always the unorthodox churches and these same people who end up with pride flags that also end up with BLM flags that also like defend um, illegal immigration. They're also like super into uh, uh, environmentalism. I'm like, why, why is it, why is that? You know, these priests who just do their own thing at the Eucharistic prayer, they tell uh, people struggling with, or, or, you know, dealing with same sex attraction that, um, you know, just go, go for it. You know, you're welcome at my church with your partner and to continue living that lifestyle. And I'll still give you communion. These same, these same Cardinals, right. Uh, Cardinal Gregory and um, Supich and um, what's his, what's, what's the crazy, crazy boy up in, uh, in Newark, Tobin. Um, why, why is it that these guys who were, were involved um, either had connections to people in sex scandals like Ted McCarrick were really close with Ted McCarrick. They were recommended by uh, former Cardinal Ted McCarrick, who's been defrocked. Uh, I believe defrocked is the word and is not even a priest anymore. Um, one of the greatest like orchestrators of sexual abuse, uh, both of seminarians and minors in church history. Why is it that they also tend to be super BLM friendly and super uh, you know, friendly of all things leftism, uh, downplay the importance of the pro-life movement, downplay the importance of abortion, you know, like Supich has in the past, to, to upplay the importance of environmentalism, um, to upplay the importance of um, LGBT ministry and, and, and supporting, supporting those causes um, to the detriment of the church many times. Why is that? I couldn't help but stop and think to see, wow, a lot of these um, non-denominational churches, like these people like be, stay like really left and they end up leaving Catholicism or they find the really liberal Catholic churches um, that go against church teaching. But I was like, man, but some of my favorite priests though, some of my favorite Catholics, these Catholics who are, I was like, why is it the Catholics that I know who are not cohabitating, the Catholics who I know who are not on birth control, the Catholics who I know, um, you know, go, go to mass, they go to daily mass, Catholics, I know that pray the rosary. I was like, why is it that they're all conservative? And so that's kind of how the social pillar came about in seeking excellence. Because originally it was just like, five, I think we had like five pillars. And it was like through prayer and discernment and some challenging of, of some good friends of mine that I was like, wait a minute. How, how come I saw all these people who were leading my retreats when I was ratchet in high school 
who now don't go to mass anymore, who argue with me about abortion, trans issues, BLM on Facebook. Like how, why is there a correlation there? Or is this just coincidence or is it causal? And I started to see a lot of causes. Why is it that that super liberal professor that I had at the Mount also didn't like the Catholic church and also wasn't Catholic or Christian? Why was that? Why is it that communism and socialism so often are paired with atheism um, and, and, and persecute the, the, church, the church? Why is that? Why is the church persecuted in communist China? Why is there no church in North Korea? At least it's not underground. Why is this? Why is, it, why is it these things always coupled together? And I started to realize like, wow, that makes me even more conservative. And why I started to identify as a religious conservative, as Catholic conservative, because I think it's an important distinction. So that's the last thing I'm going to talk about here today. There's this really important distinction that I always like to make between conservatives and, and Republicans. And so I want to talk about that for a second. So um, I think this is really important because I think you see a lot of uh, Republicans that call themselves conservatives who aren't actually conservatives. And th- this is a tough battle, right? Because I think when you realize it's the same thing as like in the Catholic episode, I thought about this a lot. As we're fighting this spiritual battle, I kind of view it as like, uh, you know, like World War II, right? Where if, if the Catholic church is the U.S., where we have democracy and freedom and we're working towards, you know, continuously improving ourselves over time and um, we're the greatest force for good and the biggest, we still need allies to win this battle and to win this war. And so it's good to like ally yourself with, with certain people, but you also still have to recognize your boundaries and your borders. And I think the same thing is true for religious conservatives. Will I join the fight against radical leftism and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris um, alongside certain people like Dave Rubin or others who live openly gay lifestyles or um, might even be like somewhat pro-choice, but recognize like Dave Rubin has an interesting stance. He's kind of in like the safe, legal and rare camp on abortion. Um, so he's not full-blown pro-life, but he recognizes that there's something absolutely wrong about a baby who could just be delivered at eight months or nine months and is instead murdered in its mother's womb, that would be considered double murder in most States. And that if it was just born and then murdered, the same thing procedure was done outside of the womb, it would be considered murder. Um, infanticide. Uh, yeah, he recognizes that cause he's not an idiot um, for lack of a better term there. And like, so yeah, so you like, you'll join in the fight with those people, but I think we still have to recognize our borders and our boundaries and where we differ. Because it's something that I'm really intrigued by so often. I see so many conservatives and it happens a lot of Christians and Christians. Like one of the things is like, this is one of the things I love about Catholicism, right? Is we talk about modesty. We talk about divorce. We talk about being pro-life. We talk about being pro-traditional marriage. And that's the kind of stuff that if you, you become evangelical or non-denominational, you can be kind of, uh, eh, who cares? Like Stephen Ferg doesn't talk about it, right? Like my pastor doesn't talk about it. So it doesn't really matter that much. You know, I can kind of do whatever I want in that realm. And that's how you see these, these people. Um, like, what's his name? Is it Madison? Uh, he's the representative who's getting divorced now after like eight months. Um, yeah, Madison Cawthorn, right? 
Yeah, Madison Cawthorn. So he uh, is getting divorced, I believe. Was yeah, yeah, yeah. Here it is, NBC News. So, dude, they've been together for like eight months. Madison Cawthorn. He's represented from North Carolina, Republican. Um, which is some wild stuff, right? Like they they've barely been together. Uh, I'm looking at this this NBC News uh, report on this this article. And it says uh, they tried balancing their life, but just had irreconcilable differences and all these different things. Right. And so, um, dude, like this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Right. So you have this or you see like different conservatives, you know, like I see it on Instagram, like some of these big conservative followings um, and some of the ones I love, you know, where like they claim to be Christian conservatives and like the, the, the women, the girls and not all of them are like this for sure. There's a lot of great ones out there great examples and great role models but they post like in like the thong bikinis and it's like bro what like what's christian and conservative about that i'm not saying that you have to be straight up you know out here in a burka on the beach or just with just your eyes showing but damn but damn put some clothes on or just don't claim to be that you know like i'm finally just being you can be a republican and, and dress however you want but when you start talking about you're a Christian conservative and you post a picture of you and your wife and your wife's got her, her you know, her chest all out. When they're just flopping everywhere, it's like, dude, like they ain't nothing Christian and conservative about this. This ain't Christian nor conservative. You can be a Republican and just have your wife with, with her chest all out. That's fine. But I just think there's something wrong when you start to like claim certain ideological beliefs. And you start to, especially when you're an example to people, like the scripture talks about, a lot of these people are Protestants. Almost all of them. I don't know. Like, I've never seen Michael Knowles post something like that. Matt Walsh never post something like that. Like, it's Protestantism. Like I said, it kind of it becomes very relativist. And they don't talk about things like oftentimes, not all. This is a very generalized talking about 33,000 different sects of Protestantism. That's This is y'all's fault, not mine, that I have to generalize because I'm not going to talk about all 33,000 different approaches and how many different churches talk about it and don't because there's too damn many. But in young Catholic circles, like modesty, pro-life, traditional marriage, divorce, like these things are talked about. They have to be. It's, it's, it's biblical. It's in scripture, right? Like this is, this is common stuff. This is some basic Christian 101, Christianity 101 type stuff. And so I think you have to be careful and, and, and understand that. So this is why I always call myself a religious conservative or Catholic conservative, Christian conservative, because I think that you have your, you know, your Orthodox Jews, you have your Catholics, you have your Orthodox Protestants who are conservative, who we all generally agree on a lot of similar things. But I think when you get into the, the broader like Republican Party, which I haven't even officially joined yet, uh, you get into like this dangerous game, right? It becomes kind of concerning. So yeah, man, I think uh, we have to be careful with that. You have to like watch who you're following and like understand that. And I, I wish, I wish more people were willing to like boldly talk to some of these people and tell them that because I really just think that they're misinformed. I think that people just don't know. You know, I don't view a lot of these like Christian conservatives who claim to be Christian and do this kind of stuff as like you're a terrible person, you're a bad example, you're bad. I, I just think they generally don't know, and I feel I, I like have compassion for them and I pray for them just like I pray for our, our leaders of our country now who I despise. 
Um, but especially the people you love who you feel like are in error in some point, like they're in some ways, like you have to pray for them. Right. And I need prayers too. And I pray for you and I pray for all the listeners of this podcast on a regular basis, but we have to pray for those people. And we have to be willing to share that with certain people in our lives who are claiming to be Christian conservatives. Cause it's not, it's so easy in today's world of absolute atheism. Um, you know, where we're dominated by atheism and socialism and all these like terrible beliefs and ideologies to feel like you're good enough as a Christian, like at least, you know, I, I pray to God and I go to church every now and then, and I'm not a leftist. I don't like champion abortion and stuff and champion transgender kids and all these terrible things and this child abuse that's happening today, but don't get into like, you're called to be, you're called to be great. You're called to be a saint. You're called to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so we have to live boldly and radically different than the world. So we can evangelize, not just our conservative beliefs, but our faith most importantly. Right. So just remember that always in this is that like souls are being lost. So that's why I wanted to end with that, that, you know, experience of seeing how many, you know, Orthodox Catholics end up being conservative because it's really hard to, to be orthodoxly Catholic and be liberal. Now it doesn't mean again, that you should agree everything with what the Republican party stands for or does. And I'm shocked a lot of times by Orthodox Catholics who are massive Trump fans because he's, there's nothing Orthodox, there's nothing Christian or conservative about him and his previous life and the lives he, he's lived and even his way about him, his pride and narcissism and all this other stuff. Like, I don't understand that and how people get into that, which is why I think you have to pick your, your heroes carefully. So if you're a Catholic conservative out there, I just want to get a big poster of Clarence Thomas because I think he's one of the greatest Americans to ever live. Um, Justice, Chief Justice Thomas is just my absolute favorite. I love Clarence Thomas and I was looking at like posters and stuff to get of him that I'm going to frame in my office someday, probably someday soon. So I'm going to get some Clarence Thomas stuff because he's the one. Clarence Thomas is the one. Um, he's just an absolute legend. So huge legend for black Americans. It's tragic. I was listening to a story yesterday um, by Abigail Schreier, a podcast by her that said, uh, you know, Clarence Thomas has had this incredible life and there's no schools or anything named after him. Like he's going to have like such a, his legacy is so muted because he's um, conservative and Catholic crazy such is life hey man if you're not willing to die for this stuff what are you even doing you know what i'm saying if you're not ready to be a martyr or a patriot come on dog what are you doing america is amazing united states of america is a beautiful country we have our problems that is for sure but don't don't just settle for being a republican man be catholic first be christian first you have to like your faith is first man and that'll drive your conservatism but don't just don't just there's no point in being a lukewarm Catholic that's a leftist. There's no point being a, 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 a Republican that has no faith. God's not going to let you know, like salvation isn't based on solely on your political views and how much you stood up for that and made fun of the left. Um, as much as I enjoy a good, a good leftist meme, a meme of the left and the left can't meme. So that's my encouragement for you today. Learn about this stuff though, man. These videos are fun to watch. It's fun to learn about it and become an evangelist uh, first and foremost for your faith, but also for your views and your political views. I, I know Abigail Schreier in that podcast I listened to as well talked about um, 62% of Americans are afraid to share an opinion that they think people might disagree with. And that's a problem. Be bold, be courageous. We need courage. Um, that was the 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 uh, sign of, of uh, 
uh, Clarence Thomas that I saw of Justice Thomas, he talked about how courage is needed, bravery is needed in this time um, to stick and in, in support and defend the truth. So be a truth defender, be a truth seeker and a truth defender. Stand firm in your faith and go forth uh, bravely into the fight. And so uh, continue to fight hard. Know we've got your back. Know my prayers for you. Please pray for me um, in this continued journey of, of figuring out life, man. It's great to have you guys with us. Again, if you haven't signed up for the Loop from Catholic Vote, highly encourage you to do that. There will be a link in this episode as well to sign up for that and sign up for our newsletter. If you have 30 seconds right now, if you'd like to, if you'd write us a review, it goes a long way. But even if you just go and tap the stars, whatever you think we deserve for the Seeking Excellence podcast, thank you so much. God bless. We'll see you next time.